This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Today on Finding Center, we'll bring you a rebroadcast of the First Presidency Christmas devotional from 2017. We'll hear from leaders of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints with music from the Tabernacle Choir and Orchestra at Temple Square. Brothers and sisters, we welcome you most warmly to the First Presidency's Christmas devotional. As we enter into this beautiful season, we are grateful for the opportunity to gather with you and reflect upon the birth, life, and mission of our Lord and Redeemer, Jesus Christ. The music for the devotional will be provided by the Tabernacle Choir and Orchestra at Temple Square under the direction of Mac Wilberg and Ryan Murphy with Clay Christiansen at the organ. The choir will open this meeting by singing, Hark, the Herald Angels Sing.
choir will now favor us with What Shall We Give? After the singing, we will be pleased to hear from Sister Christina Franco, who serves as second counselor in the primary general presidency. Following her remarks, the choir will sing Glory to God.
I love seeing children's excitement and anticipation throughout the Christmas season. I remember my own anticipation as a primary child growing up in Argentina. One year, our primary teachers asked us to clean our old toys, wash our dolls' hair, and repair their dresses so we could donate them to little boys and girls who had to spend Christmas Day in the hospital. During the week, as I was cleaning my old dolls, my mom asked me what was I doing with them. I explained what our primary teachers had asked us to do, and she replied, You should also give one of your nice toys to the children. To that I responded, Why would I do that? Right? Then she said something that has remained with me all these years. She said, Chris, it is really good to give something that we truly like, something that's hard to give because we are fond of it, something that would be a sacrifice. That is what our Heavenly Father's gift was for us. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, not just any Son. He sent His Son, His beloved one, and perfect Son, so we can go back to live with Him once again. That year, as I gave one of my favorite toys, I understood a little better our Heavenly Father's gift to us, His beloved Son, Jesus Christ, who lovingly and selflessly gave His life for us. Every year, as part of our Christmas celebration, my dad would read out of the scriptures the beautiful account of Luke. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and lay him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, and suddenly There was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Brothers and sisters, how can we today enjoy this same peace and goodwill toward men? As I have pondered this question for the last several weeks, having in mind that Christmas is the season to give, 
Three actions, actually three gifts, we can each give came to mind. We, of course, give these gifts throughout the years, but at the wonderful season of Christmas, we remember the Father's gift of His Son and consider how we might follow their example as we increase in their individual ability and desire to give. Number one, Christmas is the season to give love. Our Father in Heaven and our Savior Jesus Christ are the greatest example of love. A beloved scripture teaches, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Our Savior taught us by example to love everyone. He also taught us to love God and to love our neighbors as ourselves. Elder John A. Witzel explained, quote, The full and essential nature of love we may not understand, but there are tests by which it may be recognized. Love is always founded in truth. Lies and deceit or any other violation of the moral law are proofs of love's absence. Love perishes in the midst of untruth. Thus, he who falsifies to his loved one or offers her any act contrary to truth does not really love her. Further, love does not offend or hurt or injure the loved one. Cruelty is as absent from love as truth is from untruth. Love is a positive active force. It helps the loved one. If there is need, love tries to supply it. If there is weakness, love supplants it with strength. Love that does not help is a faked or transient love. Good as these tests are, there is a greater one. True love sacrifices for the loved one. That is the final test. Christ gave of himself, gave his life for us, and thereby proclaimed the reality of his love for his mortal brethren and sisters. Close quote. Our Father in heaven invites us all, his children, to give of and sacrifice for this love. Give the love said, the Savior said, and it shall be given unto you. Freely ye have received, freely give. Number two, Christmas is a season to give service. Our Lord and Savior ministered personally to the people, lifting the oppressed, giving hope to the discouraged, and seeking out the lost. He gave sight to the blind, healed the sick and the lame so they could walk, and raised the dead. At Christmas time, I think of the missionaries, elders, sisters, sister missionaries, senior couples, and mission presidents who, throughout the world, um, as representatives of Jesus Christ, give freely of their time and service to all mankind. I think of all the brothers and sisters who spend many hours serving faithfully in their callings. Also, at this time, I think of all the men and women serving in the military to ensure our safety. Thank you for your service. But even if we are not serving the Lord, or our country in full-time service, our opportunities to serve are limitless. Kind words and deeds can lift burdens and cheer up hearts. 
Our Father in Heaven invites us all to give service, and when we do, the King shall answer and say unto us, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Number three, Christmas is the season to give forgiveness. Forgiving others brings peace and joy to our lives. President Heber J. Grant taught, There is nothing that will bring us more of the Spirit of God than to be kind, considerate, charitable, long-suffering, and forgiving. There is nothing that will bring you more joy to us than to be ready and willing to forgive the trespasses of our neighbors against us. And there is nothing that will bring more condemnation to us than to harden our hearts and be bitter and vindictive in our feelings towards those by whom we are surrounded. Close quote. In order to receive forgiveness for our sins, we need to forgive others. Forgiving others allows us to overcome feelings of anger, bitterness, or revenge. And who wants to feel those feelings at Christmas? Forgiveness can also heal spiritual wounds and bring peace and love that only God can give. Our Father in Heaven wants us to repent and forgive everyone, including ourselves. Elder Jeffrey R. Holland said, quote, However late you think you are, however many chances you think you have missed, however many mistakes you feel you have made or talents you think you don't have, or however far from home and family and God you feel you have traveled, I testify that you have not traveled beyond the reach of divine love. It is not possible for you to sink lower than the infinite light of Christ's atonement shines. Brothers and sisters, at this Christmas season, let us all give the best gifts. Let us sacrifice our grateful hearts, with grateful hearts, our favorite toys, not the ones we've worn out. And let us give the gift of love, the gift of service to those around us, and the true gift of forgiveness. For as we repent, the Holy One of Israel forgives us. I testify that He lives. He is the King of Kings, the Prince of Peace, our Savior, our Redeemer, and our friend. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.
We express appreciation to the Tabernacle Choir and Orchestra at Temple Square for the beautiful Christmas music they provided this evening. The concluding speaker for the devotional will be President Dieter F. Uchtdorf, Second Counselor in the First Presidency. Following his remarks, the choir will sing Silent Night with the congregation joining in as directed on the third verse. Brothers and sisters, it is our hope, our sincere hope, that each of you may be blessed to experience the peace and joy that are manifest through the redeeming love of our Savior, Jesus Christ. My dear brothers and sisters, dear friends, we bring you the greetings and blessing of our beloved prophet, President Thomas S. Monson. He is grateful for your prayers and love at this Christmas time and always. I've always loved this time of year. This first presidency Christmas devotional has become a beloved tradition for many, including my own family. We look forward to ushering in the Christmas season with the sublime music of the orchestra at Temple Square and the always amazing Tabernacle Choir. The messages and the music help to set the tone for the Christmas season and remind us of the profound significance of what and why we celebrate. And the same is true today with this beautiful music and the wonderful message we have already heard. In my early childhood, my Christmas wishes always included a picture-perfect winter. And I know I'm not alone with this. But to me, this meant frosty winter air, crisp blue skies, and a thick blanket of fresh white snow. Instead, the weather almost always differed from my winter wonderland dreams, often with gray, foggy skies, slushy, wet snow, or even rain. Nevertheless, on Christmas Eve, my mother would bundle us up in warm winter clothing, and our father would walk with us through the streets of our town. We children knew the real reason for this annual walk. Mother needed time to decorate the Christmas tree, put the gifts under the tree, and prepare our living room for the holy night. We tried every trick to make this walk as short as possible. But our father was extremely creative in adding another loop or one more turn to give mother the needed time. In those days, the streets of Zwickau, Germany, were quite dark in the evenings. This was just after World War II when street lights were scarce. Only a few shops were open and some were located next to bombed out houses which still had the strained smell of war. There was one part of the walk we all liked a lot. A stop at the cathedral in Midtown Zwickau where we listened to beautiful Christmas carols and majestic organ music that always seemed to be playing on Christmas Eve. Somehow, this music made the humble lights of our city appear suddenly so much brighter, almost like sparkling stars. 
and filled our young hearts with wonderful spirit of anticipation. By the time we returned, Mother was finished with her preparations and we would file into the living room one by one to behold the wonder of the freshly decorated Tannenbaum. Trees were hard to come by in those days, and we took whatever was available. Sometimes we had to add quite a few branches to make it look like a real tree. But to my young eyes, the Christmas tree was always perfectly glorious. The flickering lights of the wax candles brought a mysterious, almost enchanting glow to the room. We looked with excitement and delight for the presence under the tree and hoped that our secret wishes would be fulfilled. The excitement of receiving presents was almost matched by the thrill of giving them. Often these gifts were handmade. One year, when I was very young, my present to my brother was a picture of him I had drawn. I was very proud of my masterpiece. And he was very kind and gracious in his words of gratitude and praise. I was always treasure these sweet memories of my early childhood in East Germany. Christmas traditions are celebrated in the cultures and nations of this world in amazing, unique ways. They are each beautiful and remarkable and still are very different. But they all have a common feeling, a common spirit that always seems to be present when we celebrate the birth of Christ, the King, our Comforter and Confidence, the Consolation of Israel. There are many words one might use to describe feeling, this special feeling. It may be joy, hope, anticipation, good cheer. Each of these captures part of what we call the Christmas spirit. To me, one word describes best the feelings we experience at Christmas time. That word is love. After all, the gift that we celebrate at Christmas is a gift of love, God's gift of His Son. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Herein is love. Touched by that love, our hearts soften. We feel a tenderness that causes us to reach out to others in kindness and compassion. Christmas inspires us to love better. Even as I say this, I acknowledge that the word, the word love is inadequate. In English, as in many other languages, love can mean many things. For example, I might say, I love the weather, or I love your new outfit, or I might even love the smell of a newly opened can of tennis balls. <laughs> But the love of which I speak is something far more profound. Our mortal concept of love is a speck of sand on a vast seashore compared to the love God feels for us. His love is infinite and inexhaustible compassion. Divine love fills eternity. It overflows with eternal grace. 
It reaches out and lifts up. It forgives. It blesses. It redeems. Divine love transcends differences in personality, culture, or creed. It refuses to allow bias or prejudice to stand in the way of imparting comfort, compassion, and understanding. It is completely devoid of bullying, discrimination, or arrogance. Divine love inspires us to do as the Savior did. Succor the weak, lift up the hands which hang down, and strengthen the feeble knees. This is the kind of love we strive for. It should be our defining characteristic as individuals and as a people. We may not be able to develop a fullness of divine love in this life, but we should never stop trying. If there is a season of the year when we get a little bit closer than any other, it might be Christmas time when our hearts and thoughts turn to the birth of the living manifestation of divine love, even the Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me share a story to illustrate how this love can work in our lives. On Christmas Eve, 85 years ago, during the Great Depression, a city commissioner was inspecting the roads of Salt Lake City after a winter storm. While he was driving, he spotted a little boy at the side of the road, standing in the bitter cold with no coat, no gloves, or boots. The commissioner pulled over, invited the boy into the warmth of his car, and asked him if he was excited for Christmas. The boy replied, We aren't going to have any Christmas at our home. Daddy died three months ago and left Mama and me and a little brother and a little sister. The city commissioner turned up the heater in his car and said, Now, son, give me your name and address. Somebody will come to your home. You won't be forgotten. The city commissioner also happened to be a stake president in downtown Salt Lake City. He had been working with members of his stake to provide food and gifts to families who were unable to provide for themselves. The boy was not a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but that did not matter to the commissioner. That night, he and one of the bishops in his stake made sure the boy's family received a well-filled Christmas basket. The encounter with this boy deeply affected the stake president. It made him more determined than ever to seek out and relieve suffering wherever he found it. It became actually a hallmark of his life. The city commissioner's name was Harold Bingham Lee, and 40 years later, he would become the 11th president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. President Lee was a central figure in the development of the Church's vast program to relieve the suffering of those in distress and to help all of God's children 
to become more self-reliant. Toward the end of his life, President Lee said that he understood those who suffered and yearned for relief because of his own poor and simple beginnings. It's not how much you have, but how much you love. I think I know how President Lee felt. My family also lived in very modest circumstances at times. Twice within seven years, we fled our homes as refugees and left everything behind. In West Germany, we lived in a rented attic in an old farm building. It had two small rooms, and all of us slept in one bedroom. The space was so tight, I had to walk sideways to move between the beds. My mother had a hot plate that served as our stove. And when we wanted to go from one room to the other, we had to walk through an obstacle course of farm tools, assorted chests, and various cured meats hanging from the ceiling. Once, when I was sick and had to stay in bed all day, I watched the mice who shared our attic race across the floor. Water had to be carried up to our rooms. And the bathroom was an outhouse across an open courtyard next to the barn. On Sundays, we walked a couple of hours to get to our church building in Frankfurt and back. Rarely could we afford to take the streetcar. I still remember those days with both heartache and joy. My parents did the best they could to provide for us, and we knew they loved us. Yes, these were times of great need, but I consider them happy times because I could feel the love we had for each other, for the Lord, and for His Church. There's no shame in being poor. Remember that the Savior of the world was born in a stable and laid in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. Then, a short time later, he and Mary and Joseph became refugees, fleeing to Egypt to seek protection from the murderous Herod. During his public ministry, Jesus walked among the broken, the hungry, and the sick. His days were filled with ministering to them. He became, he came to proclaim good news to the poor. In many ways, he was one of them, for he too had nowhere to lay his head. He praised the destitute widow who out of her poverty tossed her two mites into the Jewish treasury. And one of his last messages in mortality was that our very salvation depends on how we treat others, especially those who are considered the least. Because in as much as ye have done it unto one of them, he said, ye have done it unto me. A 19th century English poet wrote these lines. Amidst the freezing sleet and snow, the timid robin comes. In pity, drive him not away, but scatter out your crumbs. All have to spare, 
None are too poor. When want with winter comes, the loaf is never all your own. Then scatter out the crumbs. Soon winter falls upon your life. The day of reckoning comes. Against your sins, by high decree, are weight those scattered crumbs. Regardless of our position in life, every one of us is a timid robin, a beggar, before God. We depend on his grace. It is by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, our Savior, as part of the great plan of happiness, that we have hope of salvation and mercy. This spiritual gift inspires us to keep God's commandments and reach out with compassion to those around us, even if all we have is a handful of crumbs. We gladly share them with those in emotional, spiritual, or temporal need as an expression of our gratitude for the divine feast God has prepared for us. During this beloved Christmas season, it is fitting that we take delight in the lights, the music, the gifts, and the glitter. This is all part of why we love this time of year so much. But let us never forget that we are disciples and followers of Jesus Christ, the living Son of the living God. To truly honor His coming into the world, we must do as He did and reach out in compassion and mercy to our fellow man. This we can do daily by word and by deed. Let this become our Christmas tradition, no matter where we are, to be a little kinder, more forgiving, less judging, more grateful, and more generous in sharing our abundance with those in need. May the contemplation of the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem inspire us to be more like him. May Christ's mission and example cause our hearts to swell with divine love for God and deep compassion for our fellow man. And may we ever scatter out our crumbs with greater generosity and unceasing love. This is my prayer and blessing this Christmas season and always in the sacred name of our Savior, our Redeemer, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
You've been listening to a rebroadcast of a First Presidency Christmas devotional from 2017 on Finding Center. Join us every weekday for an hour of spiritual focus and inspiration. Finding Center is a production of BYU Broadcasting.